Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Claussen, and today I have Krista King on with me, and she's a registered dietitian, nutritionist, integrative and functional certified nutrition practitioner, and a holistic health expert. So I'm super excited to chat everything hormones with her, menstrual health, um, gut health, all of those fun things. So first off, how are you doing today, Krista? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, get to know you kind of in a little fun way. So what is your favorite nourishing food? Ooh, nourishing food. I do love matcha lattes, so that would be one thing. Love that. What is the favorite way for you to move your body? Definitely yoga. Morning or evening routines or both? Um, I would love to say both, but I'm definitely more into my evening routine. Ooh. And then the best thing about helping women gain better health? Just when people have been experiencing symptoms for so long and finally feeling relief from that and just being able to experience that journey with them. Mm, I love that. So let's kind of dive into a little bit more about you and your background and how you got started focusing on hormonal health. Yeah, definitely. So I've had my practice composed nutrition where I do everything virtually for a little over a year and a half now. And it's very much evolved into a hormone and gut health focused practice just by what I was seeing, um, what my clients were really needing. And so I have always really been into this root cause approach to health. And by completing additional training in functional and integrative nutrition, really that just means looking at a root cause approach to health and how are all of the systems in the body working together and then integrating more conventional practices, which is, you know, more of my training as a registered dietitian and with more of these holistic practices that have come about from either additional training or my own personal uh, interest in that. And so a lot of the symptoms and conditions and everything that I'm seeing is so tied to our hormone health, gut health really being at the root of that and a lot of stress and anxiety and just overall kind of confusion about nutrition and health since there is so much information out there. So it's just kind of evolved over time. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely the information overload is real, especially just, we have so many ways we can consume information now. And I know, um, you know, I tell that to my clients too. I'm like, well, most of them actually have told me and they're like, I don't listen to anyone else besides you. Otherwise they're like, it just gets confusing and people get overwhelmed. And that's a great, you know, kind of tip for people is just to kind of have maybe one or two resources that you go to for certain information. Definitely. There's a funny kind of meme (laughs) in the dietitian world that, you know, when you have a toothache, you go see the dentist, or if your roof is leaking, you call the contractor. But with, you know, the path to speaking to a health expert or a nutritionist, you know, you read an article online and listen to your coworker and your cousin. And, you know, and then finally you're like, maybe I should reach out to somebody who knows a little bit about this. Oh, uh, yes, that's so true. And I mean, I've, I've done it where I'm like, hey, do you know? And I'm like, why am I asking this person? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I want to kind of break it down into hormonal health. So when we say hormonal health, so maybe someone's listening and they're like, what exactly does that even mean? 
Yeah, definitely. So the easiest way to think about what is a hormone, it's really your body's internal communication system. So chemical messengers in your body. And so really how it works, it's really tied into kind of the mind-body connection because everything kind of begins in the brain, which is kind of always scanning the body to see what do I need more of and what do I need less of sends a message to the various organs in the body um, to then release a specific hormone. And so an example of that would be our stress hormone. If we're experiencing something stressful, our brain will communicate to our adrenal glands, which are just glands that sit on top of our kidneys like little hats, and they are what are responsible for producing cortisol or stress hormone. And then, you know, if and when hopefully our stress um, decreases, then you know, then that cortisol response will then decrease. So it's really just a way that our body is in constant communication and kind of all the systems in the body are communicating with each other. And then so when we have like when we say we have healthy hormones, that means like kind mm-hmm. of everything is working together then. Everything is working together and there is not, you know, an elevation or a decrease in one specific hormone. When we hear hormone imbalance, really what that means is there could be an elevation in one hormone, a decrease in one hormone. And a lot of times there's that's happening because one is compensating for another. Typically at the root of it, a lot of times is our stress hormone, Mm -hmm. cortisol, Um, And then you can think of it almost like a domino effect because what our body is doing is trying to protect us from a threat, either if that's real or perceived, um, whether, you know, so really, however, we're perceiving that threat. And so it will put all basically resources, nutrients to managing that stress response until our body feels that it's safe our digestion and reproductive hormones really take a back seat if we're in a state of constant stress because our body is just trying to manage that stress. Mm, yes. That was, um, so my October theme is actually pre postpartum and, you know, talking about fertility and that's kind of the one thing that kind of, you know, perked up there is if, you know, we could be having things that are going on and we could be doing all the things, but our bodies could be completely stressed out. And, you know, that yeah. could be an underlying factor for, Um, I guess, issues getting pregnant, would that be something that you would find? Yes, 100%. And so a lot of times with fertility and fertility struggles, we really want to look at, you know, our period, our menstrual cycle, or do we have a healthy cycle? And that's one of our, uh, you know, as women, our most important vital signs to for our overall health if we're having issues there it is important to peel back the layers and really ask why so that's really what i'm so interested in is asking why is you know xyz happening with our health and stress is so often at the root of it i will say that every hormone test that i've run in my practice there is um 100% of the time i think um a dysregulation in cortisol, meaning it's either high when it should be, you know, lower or low when it should be high. Mm. So um, those hormone tests, is this something that you can, you regularly do, or can someone kind of like mail in this or how do those work? 
Yeah, so the hormone test I use in my practice is called the DUTCH test, which stands for Dried Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones. So it's a really great test because it gives you so much information, not only about your hormone levels, but how are they functioning in your body? Our hormones go down different pathways uh, you know, as we're metabolizing them, which really just means converting them into other things as they kind of go throughout their life cycle in the body. And so it just gives us more information, you know, not only what is the level, but kind of what path is it going down? Some pathways are better than others. And so it just gives us a lot of good information, some additional information about some vitamin markers, neurotransmitters, so our mood chemicals. So it really gives a good complete picture. And so how that works in my practice, since I do everything virtual, is it's an at-home urine test. You collect four to five samples over the course of the day. And then once that's complete, you just mail it in. I get the report and then we go over it. Hmm. And how often should people be doing something like that? Only when they think something's wrong or just to have a baseline or what does that kind of look like? Yeah, it kind of depends. It can be really helpful if, um, you know, a lot of my clients come to me, they've tried a lot of things already. So I like to say that lab testing is like a puzzle piece that can give us more information as to what's going on in the body. But there are definitely so many things that we can do through nutrition and lifestyle, but for really a targeted approach, especially which supplements would be most beneficial for what's going on in your body. It's just really helpful information piece. So definitely if something is, you know, not quite right with energy or your menstrual cycle, but I've also had, you know, some clients that were just curious and wanted to just understand their hormones better. Yeah, that makes sense. And, um, uh, when we talk about energy, because I think this is something that I've heard quite a bit is, you know, that kind of like afternoon slump, like you get super tired. Is that something that's normal or should that not be happening? Yeah. I think um, when we talk about what is normal, we can kind of confuse that with what is common. And so it's definitely common. I would not say it's necessarily normal. A lot of times I see some sort of something going on with cortisol in the afternoon. If we are tying that you know, to the hormone test. So either you're getting a cortisol spike in the afternoon, which if you think about what is happening in the body when our cortisol is rising, everything that needs to happen in the body to literally fight or run away from something is happening. So our blood sugar increases, so we have energy to literally run away. Our blood pressure increases so we have enough oxygenated blood to run and like i said before our digestion and reproductive processes take a back seat because that's just not deemed important if we are running or fighting something but you know today that stress response may be from an email or we just have a million things to do we're not necessarily running or you know fighting something but all of those things are happening so if our blood sugar is spiking and then crashing just due to a cortisol thing going on then we can really feel that energy slump with a blood sugar crash um, and so that is something I, I do see often and also kind of peeling back you know how are you setting up the rest of your day are you you know starting your day with breakfast that has some protein, healthy fat, you know, keeping your blood sugar stable through the beginning of the day. And, you know, if not, then by the afternoon, you could just be be crashing. 
That makes sense. And that's why that, you know, that afternoon coffee is when that yes. is just kind of masking what's really going on. Yes, definitely. Um, what is your take on coffee, by the way? So I do love coffee and it's one of those things, like I say, with everything, it truly depends on the person and how it's reacting with your body. Okay. I don't like to ever say that one food or coffee is inherently bad, but what are you using it for? What is your intention behind it? Is it you enjoy your morning coffee? It's not really affecting your energy. It's more just kind of a morning ritual and you're kind of good to go. Or are you kind of relying on that for your energy? You need three or four cups to get going. You need that in the afternoon. So kind of digging into your why a little bit. Why am I using this? And then there are so many coffee alternatives that I like to recommend um, that are either lower in caffeine or caffeine free and that, you know, you can incorporate, you know, more for that ritual piece of it. I like it. Yeah. Cause I, um, I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner and I, coffee is frowned upon, but I still enjoy a cup or two a right. day, but I like it. I mean, I get up at four 30 some days to teach some, you know, group fitness classes and, I'm like, I, some days I need it to get going. Other days I'm like, yeah. oh, it's just kind of like today I was like, I noticed no effect from it. So I'm just like, nope, I had it. And it's just kind of like the nice warm beverage in a, on a cold morning. Right. Exactly. So if people are listening and they're like, okay, so what are some, like maybe the top, you know, two or three things that you can do for better hormonal health, you know, is managing mm -hmm. your stress probably one of the top? Yeah. Managing stress. And then also one thing I typically talk about with every first appointment with clients is balancing blood sugar. Mm -hmm. So that really does tie into the stress response as I was explaining how that affects our blood sugar. So yeah. definitely how can we manage stress better? So I really like to explore how can you build your stress toolbox or your toolkit? What are some go-to things that are you know, that you enjoy, that are easy to do to manage stress when things just feel overwhelming. And so those can be things that take literally two seconds. Like I like to have, uh, I just got some for my desk, some essential oil rollers. So scent is really powerful for me, um, you know, for calming and uh, connecting with your breath, which can sound a little, you know, played out or cliche of, okay, connect to your breath. But really, if you're taking those deep belly breaths, that's really activating your parasympathetic nervous system, which is basically our rest and digest, the opposite of fight or flight. So even just taking three deep breaths is super helpful. And then some other things that can be a little, you know, longer, like doing a yoga class or going on a walk. So it can really be anything, but what are your go-to things and starting with, you know, making a list of like five things. So how can I manage stress in a way that works for me? And then the blood sugar balance piece is so important because if we start off the day or kind of constantly on what I call the blood sugar roller coaster with mm -hmm. highs and lows, we're not going to feel very good. So it's, Really, I like to say to remember two things with balancing blood sugar. Are we eating consistently throughout the day, so not skipping meals? And, um, you know, I never like to set, you know, a specific number on meals because it's really getting back to tapping into listening to your body. What do you need? But in general, 
not going four to six hours between meals, just with the intention of keeping our blood sugar balanced. So we're not getting that shaky, dizzy, headachey feeling with that blood sugar crash. And then the second thing would be including protein and healthy fat at each meal because it kind of helps to buffer any potential of a blood sugar spike at meals. That makes sense. Uh, what do you think about like intermittent fasting then? Is that something that you would say no to based on the long period or? Yeah. So it's not something I typically integrate too much into my practice since I really use an intuitive eating approach to food. And a lot of times, even though my clients are coming to me with a specific hormone issue or gut health, there is also a lot of relationship to food and body image tied into that. So anything that can be deemed as a specific rule Mm. around and kind of disconnecting you from your hunger and fullness cues is not something that I typically integrate. Not to say that it can't be helpful in certain cases, but um, when we're talking about, you know, tapping into, you know, just reconnecting with our bodies, it's, not something that I usually like to start with or typically usually incorporate with the type of clients I'm seeing. Yeah, that, that also makes sense. Um, that's, that's one that I, Ayurveda, I mean, I guess they've been doing it for like 5,000 years, but it's not as strict of rules as I think that's out there now. And that's uh, because I did a solo podcast about that. And I'm just like, yeah, like 12 to 16 hours, which if you have an early lighter dinner, that's really basically when you get up, you know, that can be your 12 hours. And that's where people are like, Oh, I thought I had to go till noon. And this window, I was like, yeah, no, that's where it gets a little too much like in, in these lines. And then we just really start to follow the rules and not pay attention to, you know, how we're doing. And if we have the shakes and we've worked out in the morning and we're not fueling ourselves, probably there is a reason for those shakes because you are really depleted. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I definitely agree with that, that, you know, for, eating dinner in the evening and then breakfast, you know, in the morning, we are typically going about the the 12 hours, but you know, we don't necessarily need to widen that window too, too much if we're not feeling good. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So what about anxiety? Cause I know this one's also kind of, I mean, this has really popped up, I suppose in the last few years, I've heard just a lot more about anxiety and people, you know, having anxiety and is there a way that, you know, what we eat can help with our anxiety that we might be feeling? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's important to know that our main mood chemicals, so our neurotransmitters, so we hear about serotonin or dopamine, um, you know, some of our feel-good mood chemicals, our endorphins, which, you know, a lot of times we tie to exercise gives us endorphins. Um, All of our mood chemicals are built from amino acids, which are really the building blocks of protein. I like to think of them like Lego pieces. So when we're eating protein-rich foods, our body breaks them down or takes apart those Lego pieces. And one of the things that we use it for, we know that we use our protein foods to build up our muscles and tissues, but also to build up our main mood chemicals. And so that really ties back also to the blood sugar balance. So keeping our blood sugar balance, incorporating enough good quality proteins, just so we have those building blocks. And then also certain vitamins and minerals are really crucial for um, converting those amino acids into our mood chemicals. So a couple that can be really helpful or kind of tied to anxiety would be magnesium, 
and our B vitamins. And our B vitamins can get depleted with our stress response. We kind of burn through them. And um, vitamin B6, vitamin B12, super crucial for our mood chemicals. And um, also our omega-3 fatty acids. So we hear about those a lot. They're found in primarily the best food source is fish. We do get some in some plant-based sources like walnuts or chia seeds, but the best usable form is in our uh, fish. And so if we're not eating fish two to three times a week, which can be hard just depending on where, where we are or what we have access to, um, that is one that I'll, you know, a lot of times recommend supplementing. Okay. Um, that, what about like, is caffeine, can that like increase anxiety as well? So if people are maybe on coffee mm -hmm. all day long, is that something yeah. that can spike it? Yeah, definitely. Since our anxiety and our stress response are so linked, if we, um, you know, are having a lot of caffeine and especially if we're, um, not really eating to maintain our blood sugar levels as well, that can definitely be linked to the feeling of, feelings of anxiety. And also, um, there's a specific genetic component to that too. You know, you hear some people say that, you know, I can drink four cups of coffee and go to bed just fine. And then yeah. other people who say I can barely do a half a cup of coffee um, without feeling super jittery. And so that is really tied to a specific gene that some people have a variation where they just don't break down caffeine as well as other people. So that kind of goes back to listening to your body and what works for you. Oh, I love that. And I definitely have I don't have quite the same gene that my grandma and my dad seem to have because they can have coffee all day long, right before bed. I, yeah. I cut myself off because usually if I'm in the afternoon, if I have a cup, I'm up all night. Yeah. But definitely. yes, but my brothers probably also because I mean, they're farmers, they're out in the field and that's how they kind of stayed awake too late at night. Yeah. For, you know, late night plowing and all that stuff. So yeah, for sure. Oh, that's interesting. And my mom can't stand, like cannot have it just not, not at all for her. So yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So I want to talk now a little bit about the menstrual cycle. And, yeah. um, this is something, I don't know if I really talked about on the podcast yet. So talking about our menstrual cycle and what does a healthy one even look like? Cause I think that again, like I wasn't, I don't think I was really educated on this in school. I think we just kind of, you know, breezed by it in health class and you're just like, here it is, let's move on to something else. So yeah. I think a lot of us are just like a little, maybe puzzled and perplexed of like, okay, Let's break down the menstrual cycle. What does a healthy one even look like? Yeah, definitely. And I definitely had the same experience as you. And we, you know, we just don't learn about what a healthy menstrual cycle looks oh. like or really any components of it. And so it's important to know that there are four main phases of our menstrual cycle. So day one is um, the first day of your period when you're having a full bleed. And it is normal for that to last anywhere from three to seven days. It can vary. Anything less than three days could be something to look into. And if you're getting up longer than a week, 10 days, um, that's also something to look into. So about three to seven days. And if it's pretty consistent for you, um, that's, that's what's important. Um, 
you know, we hear of a normal menstrual cycle is 28 days, but that's really an average. And so anywhere from about 21, 23 ish up to about 35 is normal. And it's important to know that is it consistent for you? So if you're consistently having a 30 day cycle every month, that's perfectly fine. It's something to look into if you're getting really a lot shorter than 21, 23 days. Um, if it's missing or if it's very irregular, so it's jumping from 25 to 35, you know, or just very long gaps between. So, you know, that 28 days that we hear about, that's an average. And so as long as you're consistent for you kind of in that window that I mentioned, that is, that is normal. Um, it's actually not normal to experience severe cramping. It's normal to get a little bit of cramping, a little bit of bloating, you know, our body is going through a hormonal change, but it's, actually kind of going back to what I said before about common versus normal, it's definitely common to experience moderate severe cramping, but that is also something to look into hormonally. A lot of times that can be connected to elevation in estrogen and low progesterone. So our estrogen is what governs the first half of our menstrual cycle. So day one, of our period, our hormones are the lowest. And then as we finish our period, you know, within the, you know, three-ish to seven days, then our hormones start to increase. So our estrogen starts rising. And then um, that is, so we have our menstrual phase, then that completes, we move into our follicular phase. So our estrogen is rising up until our ovulation. And so that's when the ovaries release the egg. And progesterone is the hormone that governs the second half of our menstrual cycle. So that both of our hormones will peak right around ovulation right after. And then if our body, you know, signals, you know, the egg is not fertilized, we are not pregnant, then um, we begin the process of, you know, our hormones start decreasing and then we kind of start the cycle over. So after ovulation, that's called the luteal phase. So our hormones peak and then gradually start to decrease. And that's the phase when we typically see a lot of, you know, those common period symptoms like cramping, bloating, irritability, breast tenderness, you know, kind of those PMS type symptoms, which can be a sign of a hormonal imbalance. I was just going to ask, I'm like, and is that considered normal? Cause I have heard no, like yeah. maybe minimal, but you shouldn't be like, um, like super, like your breast shouldn't be so tender where it hurts to touch unless exactly. maybe you're pregnant, but right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So having some light fatigue feeling, you know, more in a restorative kind of mindset, you know, your hormones, when they're lowest, you're just not going to have as much energy. So pushing yourself to do an extreme workout may not be the best time for that. So it is normal to feel a little bit more fatigued than you would, you know, kind of more in the middle of your cycle. But those extreme symptoms are something to look into. And what about changing, like maybe after, after a pregnancy, I've heard from a lot of people that their menstrual cycle has changed. Is that mm -hmm. something that's normal? 
Yeah, again, it can just kind of depend on the person, you know, how long it takes for your cycle to return and kind of, you know, how all of that goes. Okay. Because that's one that, um, well, I know for me, mine has gotten like lighter. And that's where yeah. I was like, well, this isn't, I, I mean, I guess it's my new normal. And that's because now my son is three and a half. Right. Um, and that's where it's just pretty much been consistently this. And so I'm like, okay, I guess it's just changed from, you know, before pregnancy. And I've just mm-hmm. been kind of watching it because I know, you know, to watch it and to see. And so I was like, I was more concerned than my my OBGYN was. And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, this seems light. Yeah. And, um, so I'm like, I'm into my own cycle just to figure out, I'm like, why is this so light? And why am I mm-hmm. only three days now? Because it used to be more and now it's dropped way down. And so yeah. like, I'm sitting here like, you know, concerned. And she's like, no, it's fine. I was like, I don't think it is though. Yeah. Yeah. And I I do hear that a a lot, you know, sometimes, you know, we're the experts of our own body. So we kind of know when something is a little off. And so that's when I think it's so important to, you know, do what we can to be our own health advocates. And if we really feel like something is a little off, you know, just exploring that. Like I, this would be me um, like getting a hormonal test. Like this is those hormone tests, that right. Dutch test that you talked about. This would be yep. probably like, yep, that's recommended. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I might need to look into that for myself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to make sure. I'm like, okay. Yes. Well, all right. I love it. Um, so I want to know now, because I actually have just working with a gal about this, but the menstrual cycle and the tie between gut health. Um, and then that kind of varies. Like sometimes, you know, we have just the sporadic like we call them like the period poops, like all of that stuff that's going on. Um, what is kind of that link between gut health and our menstruation cycle? Yeah. So our hormones are so linked to everything that's going on in our body. And so I do see a lot of gut issues tied to hormonal imbalances and kind of going back to what I was talking about with the stress response you know, a lot of times when something is going on with the gut, whether that's, you know, IBS, which that's kind of a blanket term for, you know, really um, a group of gut symptoms, but you can see that also really tied to the stress response, inflammation. So anytime the body is dealing with something internally, that's a stress that is, you know, throwing off our hormones. And kind of like I said before, there's kind of that domino effect. And so when we are experiencing both period problems and gut issues, we really want to, you know, look at the root of what's going on. So I do incorporate a lot of gut healing, you know, as needed when we're also working on helping to balance out the menstrual cycle. And do you find it's hard to get people to sometimes uh, stay with that gut healing? Because I know this can be kind of tricky because sometimes it's the foods that you're eating and the foods that you love, and that could be actually triggering all of these issues. Um, And I, most of the people I work with, you know, they do eventually concede and they're like, yes, I just want to get better. Um, But is that something that you find quite common is sometimes it's like the food that we could be consuming every day and it's, you know, really causing us harm. Yeah, so a lot of my clients have been able to tease out which foods they specifically react to. And it's important to know that food is definitely a huge piece of it, but it's 
um, one piece of it. So when mm -hmm. we're talking about a functional medicine or functional nutrition approach to healing the gut, they have what's called the five R approach. And so the first R is removed and that means removing any foods that we know are specifically uh, causing symptoms for us. And so a lot of times we can kind of tease that out or do an elimination type, um, you know, experiment to see what, you know, is it some of the common culprits or is it something more specific? But that remove also refers to removing anything possibly pathogenic that is in the gut, whether that is a bacteria, a virus, a fungus like candida or anything um, that shouldn't be there. So, you know, kind of removing triggers to the stress response uh, in the gut and then uh, replace. So that refers to really replacing um, or gut support with uh, digestive enzymes or stomach acid support. I do see a lot that um, low stomach acid, interestingly, which is uh, really important for breaking down our protein foods specifically. So sometimes incorporating digestive enzymes and some stomach acid support either with supplements or an easy hack for that is um, apple cider vinegar. Mm. So um, just adding a splash to water in the morning or adding a splash to lemon water, warm lemon water in the morning kind of helps um, kind of kickstart those digestive juices or even if you're experiencing indigestion or bloating, um, an easy, you know, at-home hack is a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, a little bit of water, tends to ease some of those digestive discomforts. And then the last R's would be repopulate, so that refers to um, probiotics or repopulating the gut bacteria, repair, so repairing the gut lining with any nutrients or gut healing herbs, and then rebalance, so that's kind of rebalancing our stress and other lifestyle factors that play into it. So food is definitely a huge part of it, but there's all these other factors that go into it as well. I like that. I like that the five R's. Yeah. And easy to kind of, you know, work through that system and figure it out. Yeah. So, um, and kind of wrapping up, I want to know a little bit about your upcoming course, Heal Your Period. So yeah. I want to know who it's for and, um, you know, who might benefit from this. Yeah, so I have the course Heal Your Period coming up. So it's really everything you need to know to achieve regular pain-free periods. So anybody who is experiencing symptoms of P PMS or has a specific hormonal condition can also benefit from this or anybody just looking for easy to implement nutrition and lifestyle um, factors to help you achieve a regular pain-free period. I love it. And then where can they find that at and where can they connect with you at? Yeah. So I am most active on Instagram. You can find me at composednutrition.com. And if you go to, or I'm at composednutrition on Instagram, you can go to <laughs> composednutrition.com for my website. And uh, there's a bar at the top. You can join my mailing list and have all the information sent to you about the course that will be coming this fall. If you sign up, you'll also get my free hormone guide. So nine steps to happy hormones to get you started on your hormone healing journey. Yes. And I started following Krista on Instagram and I just love 
all of the stuff that you post is so informative. So if you want to, um, like you're one of my like go-to people for just hormone health and just kind of reading what you post. So if someone's interested in that, like definitely check out her Instagram. Yes. So I have one final question for you and I have this at the end of every interview. And when I have a guest on, I have you throw out a weekly challenge to all the listeners. So Mm -hmm. what would you like that weekly challenge to be? Yeah. So one thing I really like to do um, when I'm experiencing anything going on in my health or my body is start asking yourself, what are these symptoms here to teach me or tell me? Um, A lot of times we get caught up in kind of, you know, the bad things that are going on with our symptoms or if we're not feeling good, but so often they're here to tell us something. So starting to get curious about that and a tool to help you with that um, that I use with all of my clients is your health and life event timeline. So super easy, just on a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, one side right health, one side right life events and start Digging into any correlations that you see between when anything with your health started showing up and any significant life events that you can tie it to. So that's really getting into that emotional connection piece of, you know, why are these symptoms showing up in the body? Mm, That sounds great. And that is definitely a new challenge. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you, Krista. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you and chatting with you. And I have a lot of different notes and tests that I should take. So I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. Thank you so much. And go out there and spread your peaceful power.